Welcome to True Wisdom, and welcome to 2024. Now, normally, we don't say specifically the date or um, the uh, our reference number, episode number, uh, because we don't know when you'll be listening to it. But because this is a special, our first episode of 2024, plus it's our 200th episode of True Wisdom, we wanted to make it special. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Robert. And welcome to all you who have been listening. Uh, If this is your first time here, we do have a, as I stated, 199 previous episodes that you can find on info.truewisdom.com or truewisdom.buzzsprout.com. Either way, you can go get previous episodes. Uh, And we've covered so much. Normally, I start an episode with a question to Andrew, um, sometimes biblical, sometimes personal. Uh, But because this is the 200th episode, I will let Andrew start with a question. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking about whether or not I should try to do that. So I won't start with a question this time. I want to do a slight clarification on or an elaboration, I don't want to say clarification, on a, a recent podcast. When we were dealing with um, we were dealing with Naaman and, and the healing of his leprosy and everything, um, we, we kind of spoke about the fact that um, as Christians, we have to be careful not to go around bullying people about the right way and the right this and the right that. Um, but in listening to it, I also wanted to be careful that we didn't err too much on the side of not knowing what is true, right? Now, granted, I'm not going to claim that I know all truth, right? Because that would imply that I don't need to grow anymore. It would imply that I make no mistakes. I will never say that. But I am pretty confident about what I know, right? I am pretty confident about what I know, what the Lord has shown me, what he's taught me. And, and so we have to, as Christians, as we grow in this thing, we need to be clear about what we know and understand and how that drives our direction and, and our Christian experience. But at the same time, recognize that tomorrow I could learn some things that elaborate on what I already understand and maybe help me to see things in a better light, more expansive light, et cetera. So we have to, we have to, cover that fine line between knowing what is truth according to what God has already revealed to us and being open to growing in truth, right? And the Bible speaks about that uh, a lot. What is your perspective on that? Oh, I, uh, I 100% agree because um, one of the things, when we're confident in what we believe, but we're not arrogant in what we believe, we can speak from a place of knowledge. Um, I deal with a lot of technology, a lot of audiovisual technology. When I go into a facility and I can identify problems, I can speak from a place of confidence. But I'm not, I don't come at people, this is something I've had to learn. I don't come at people pointing out, oh, you're doing this wrong, or you're doing this. What I come at when I come now, and, and, and trust me, when you're young and you're learning about technology and you want to show off what you know, 
you'd like to go into play, ah, why are you doing it this way? That's wrong. You should be doing it X. But what I've learned is you don't know the person's situation. You don't know the facility mm-hmm. situation. You don't know until you've been there and worked with them for a while. Then you get an understanding of why they do a thing a certain way. And then you can teach them or explain to them how they can do it better. When you, when you encounter someone who's struggling with reading the Bible and you start out, ah, you're doing it wrong, you've just turned them off. Mm-hmm. You have turned them off. You've killed your witness. And now you can't help them move on. But if you start mm-hmm. getting to know them, why are you doing it this way? Why are, what have you been able to gain from how you've been studying? Maybe let me show you a different way that you can mm-hmm. address it. And maybe that'll be more helpful to you. So you're not arrogant. You, be, you are more knowledgeable because of your own experience, but you're not arrogant. And so, yeah, I agree 100%. We need to be able to approach not from the standpoint of I already know everything and I'm here to teach you, but mm-hmm. how can I help you? Absolutely. Good. That's, a, that's, that's an interesting place to start. <clears throat> and I think it's going to tie into what we want to do. Our, our verse that has been the theme for this podcast from the very beginning is brought to us from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Excellent. Let's have a word of prayer. Mm-hmm. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us and allowing us to have this two hundredth episode. Mm-hmm. We thank you for this platform. We thank you for the growth we have experienced by participating this way. We are grateful for the words of encouragement we have received from others who have listened. And we pray, Lord, that, that the blessings of this will go much further than we could ever have imagined. And please be with the technology today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. What are we covering for episode 200? I thought a long time about what would make sense to do, and I'm going to do something different this time because we have spoken about it and alluded to it probably more than everything else that we've done on this podcast. And the reason I'm bringing it up is the opposite reason of why I would have brought it up a few weeks ago. About less than a month ago, I got into a, an interesting discussion with some folks who insisted that the King James Version is the only version to pay attention to in Scripture, that every other version has problems. Mm-hmm. And and I, I am a proponent of the King James Version. I favor it when I'm studying, particularly prophecy, prophetic studies. But I do not swear by the King James Version as though nothing else, that everything else is, is tampered and tortured. There are, some, there are some translations that I think don't do proper justice to the Godhead and 
are, are deficient in many ways, diminish the divinity of Christ, etc. and so on. I believe that there are different translations that have weaknesses, either because of the intent of the people that were putting them together, or the manuscripts that they used to underlie them, or just not having good scholarship and being consistent in translating a particular phrase from the Greek or the Hebrew consistently into the English, right? Mm. So those things exist. And, and we're going to put in the, um, in the description for this podcast, we're going to put some resources so people can look at them. Because my goal is not to tell you what translation you must, you must read. One of the points that I made, and I'm going to ask you a question in a second, but one of the points that I made in discussing this matter is that at every point in history that the Bible was translated, it was translated to the language of the common people. Mm -hmm. So when people make, the, I like the King James because it sounds more ele elegant. It comes across elegant. But I'm also aware, very much aware, that it was written in the common English of the 16 and 1700s. And by the way, that's another point. There were four editions of the King James Version. The first one was in 16... Uh, 1611, right? So 1611, the one we use commonly is the 1789 one. Okay. 1611, and there were two more in the 1600s and two in the 1700s, if I recall correctly. Okay? But it was written in the common language. It was meant for the everyday person to understand. So you can't be upset when people today say, hey, I don't speak like that, and I need a language that's current. Yeah. That's exactly how the King James Version came. Yeah. Because before it were the Tyndale Bible and the Wycliffe Bible, written in the 1300s and <laughs> for, um, Tyndale was 1500s, 1549-ish. Right? Got it. You look, listen, if you, if you ever looked at the Tyndale Bible, and not the Tyndale, the Wycliffe Bible, it's like looking at Beowulf. Yes, which is amazingly difficult to read incredibly difficult to, to read. We don't appreciate how much the language changed in the 400 years between the 1600s and the 2000s. Mm. Okay. The other thing, we have to really get out of the habit of behaving as though the way the words used in translation are sacred. The King James Version, inspiration, and, and, and before I answer that, the reason I'm doing this, this is an important discussion to have because you, may, you as, a person, as a student of Scripture, may catch flack from other people who insist that you're not going to get anything from the Scripture because you're using the wrong translation. That's A. B, you may fall into the trap of thinking other people are not going to get a proper understanding because they're using the wrong, um, the wrong translation. Right. Okay. The King James and several other translations are what we call thought for thought translations. Right. They're not exactly word for word because they maintain a different cadence in their language versus the language they were translated from. There are some word-for-word -word translations, and they're harder 
to deal with because <laughs> right. ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek aren't written the same way. Right. Ancient Hebrews are right to left language. I mean, there's all sorts of things about it that are different. <clears throat> okay. They're, they're not, they don't have the same instruction. They don't have the same construct in those languages. And, and so you have thought for thought translations, which I favor meaning the way that a translation would normally work. A skilled, if, if you're listening to a sermon or a presentation where a skilled translator is handling the translation, they are not just listening to Bob say, Mary Sue and, 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 uh, he said Bob already, Mary Sue and Dave and then translating that into the names on the other side. They're listening to whole sentences, and they're translating that into a sentence of the destination language that conveys the same thought right. as, the, as the sentence in the origination language, but with the proper sentence structure for the destination language. Right, yeah. Because again, the goal is for the people who hear it to understand what you're saying, not to have to subsequently decode what you're saying. Right. Okay. A little known fact. In about 200 BC, a number of Jewish scholars went down to Alexandria, Egypt. Not Virginia. Not Virginia. <laughs> And they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. They did it for a couple of reasons. One is, we forget that over time, the Hebrew that was written in Moses' time and spoken in Christ's time is not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. It went through similar transition as English did. I don't believe it was as drastic as English. As, as how our language has changed now. But I do believe that it was different. So maybe maybe it's like the beginning of the King James to the end of the King James. Maybe that level of difference from 1611 to, to 1759. <laughs> Similarly, Greek, the Greek spoken in the time of the apostles is not Greek spoken today. Right. That's why we call those languages ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek, because they're not exactly the same. Right. Okay, those what's interesting and what we don't often make a lot of noise about is that 200 years before Christ, the Jews up and went and translated the scriptures from the Hebrew into the Greek. And we call that now the Septuagint. Yes. So, okay. Right. So if you use e sword or any of these other um or any of these other um aggregated bible yeah yeah these other bible apps i have a bunch of them let me, let me name a few of them here i have logos bible uh blue line or i think it's blue blue letter bible there we go blue letter bible um e sword um u version um I have one more here. Uh, Bible tools. If you use those, any of those products, they're going to have multiple versions that you can get most of the time for free, but not always. And you're going to see the Septuagint as one of them. Using the Septuagint is pretty interesting. Why? Because it gives you an opportunity to see the Old Testament in Greek 
as well as the New Testament in Greek. And now you can look up words across both Testaments and see them against a single language. Oh, I didn't know which, that. Right, because it's harder when you are looking at a word, you're trying to find a particular word, and your concordance has the, has the Greek version of that word, but you, you don't know how that matches up <laughs> with a with a Hebrew version of that word, and so you have to do your cross-reference as, find all the Greek versions of it, what did they come back as in English, let's go look at the English versions and see if those match up, right? It becomes a little bit more, and I don't want to make a big deal out of it, it's a little bit more involved for study, right? I, I don't want to make it sound hard when, in fact, the people that were writing these concordances were doing them with, with ink, with quill pens, over a period of years where they have to go through the manuscripts by hand, right? So <laughs> right. let's not make us looking through digital um, uh, applications. It's so for this. much harder, yeah. But yeah, let's, let's be, I want us to be reasonable, but for someone who has never studied the scripture at all, this will be daunting, right? If they've never studied, if they've just, if you're a person who's just taken the Bible, gone to it, you picked a translation that was easy enough for you to understand, you listened to it, you read it, and you move forward, the, the idea of studying, of going to figure out, well, that word was translated into English as this, but what does it mean? What, what else could that word mean? How else does it get used in Scripture? What cross-reference do I get to some other part of Scripture from it? You start to enter into that realm, and it's different. Okay? And so you want to develop approaches to understanding that. Oh. So we have thought-for-thought thought translations, and there are a number of those. We also have word-for-word word translations. They're a little bit harder. So, for instance, um, Young's literal translation. That's difficult to read, yes. It, it's an older school translation, and it pretty much is, you found a Greek word, put the English version of it right there. <laughs> you found a sword word. It's, it's more stinted when you read it. It's it's interesting. And what um, year was that done? Because that's not even a recent translation. Let me yeah, look. no, no. So yeah, um, Young's little translation is um, 1500 yeah. time frame. Yeah. So similar time frame to Webster's Bible and, and some others like that. Okay. Next you have um, paraphrases. Now, a paraphrase, the feeling I would, I would say for a paraphrase is essentially like a devotional. It's where someone, usually a paraphrase is one person. There are a few paraphrases that are maybe two people doing it. But a paraphrase is typically one person. That's the other thing you have to understand about translation. Mm -hmm. The King James was translated by 70 scholars. Right? That's one of the reasons why we like it. Because the individual direction of, of, of a specific scholar was balanced against the other 69 scholars, right? They, they did the Bible by committee, the translation by committee. And not everything should be done by committee, but a translation by committee is a little bit safer. Right. We translations that were done with just two people or, you know, maybe a handful of people. Um, some of the modern translations, the Holtzman something Bible that was done in 2014, that was done with, with a, a group of, I think, 20-something people. So people have understood that getting multiple minds together but not letting any of those minds dominate the discussion is a good thing when your goal is to rightly represent the Word of God from one language to the next. 
Mm. Okay. Um, so you have to be careful when you when you're picking a Bible. Consider how many people were involved in the translation of that that Bible. Right. We believe that God protects His scriptures and has protected them, but we do believe that the enemy tries to do things. Right. So. So what that means is that sometimes a word or two in a translation may not have been interpreted in the best way. Is that game over? No, because A, you live in a time period where there are multiple translations available to you. You live in a time period where you have access to the concordance and can look at it yourself and be like, ah, you know what? Of the five words this could have been, this third one is a better one than the second one that they did. Right? looking at the context of what's being discussed, et cetera. So you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It does, that does not undermine the scripture when you look at it that way, because you're reading a translation automatically. You're not reading the original Hebrew and or the original Greek. You're reading the Hebrew, you're reading the translated into English version. Of a after particular year. People, yes, yes. After a group of people got together and said, okay, Looking at what's being discussed here, this is what's being explained here. Okay? And as you stated early in this discussion, one of the things to consider is don't lock yourself into thinking that because you understand the text to mean something this way today, that that mm -hmm. never grows or you don't ever expand upon it or you don't through experience or the Holy Spirit telling you that it will shift. And so you might get a better understanding of a text later on in life. Absolutely. So I'll give you a good example because we've done a podcast on this before. Remember the whole... Um, um, what's his name? Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Yes, yes, yes. Right? Okay. So Jesus asked him that question three times. Three He's times. a 93 times. I'm asking you three times. We've always fun seen that as, do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Lord, you know I love you. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfectly valid explanation. But then when you look at the actual underlying words, you realize that Jesus kept asking him love. He kept asking like, and then the last time Jesus asks him like, and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> right? Like mm -hmm. it dawned finally that the way he was answering was way too informal from the way that Jesus was asking. And, and so here now all of a sudden you come away with um, a deeper understanding that doesn't invalidate the first understanding. Right? It's not like you were wrong before and now you understand properly. It's like, wow, there were layers to this. Got it. Right? It's not always going to, there, there are certainly things that you're going to learn about and realize, oh, I was wrong in the past and now I have a, a better understanding. There are going to be those kinds of things that happen, right? For, for a variety of reasons. But not every bit of, of spiritual growth falls into the I once was wrong, I once was blind, and now I can see, right? It's not always going to be that. Sometimes your eyes will be opened more. Yeah, yep. Right? Um, sometimes something that you didn't think was important will suddenly have far more significance. Don't get locked in. When you're choosing a, a Bible for study, don't get locked in. I would I would encourage you not to use paraphrases for study purposes. Nope. Because 
that would that would be like relying on this podcast alone for study. Don't pull out a Bible. <laughs> just listen to us. Say what we believe the scriptures say, and then go away with that as the answer. Right? right, right. That's, that's essentially what you're getting in a paraphrase. You're getting somebody saying, let me write this in a way that's better, it's smoother to say, easier to understand, just, you know, catches the essence of whatever. And that's what a paraphrase is. And it's great for a devotional talk. It's great for doing your devotions in the morning. Maybe you read that, you see a passage, you get something out of it, you move on. But when you're studying prophecy or you're studying uh, doctrine, what does the Bible say about faith? What does the Bible say about love? You want less of someone else's words than the people God was inspiring in the first place. I think that's the thing that sort of annoys me. And I, I'm using that term specifically, annoys me about reading the Bible in a year. Because mm. you cram mm. so much of it. It's almost like a race. I need to get this done in a year and I've achieved something. But then for me personally, I don't get as much out. It's very different than Bible study. And even reading the Bible by myself, where I'll read, and if I come across something I don't fully understand in the King James, I will look at other versions to get mm -hmm. a better understanding of what they were trying to say or to maybe modernize mm -hmm. what they were trying to say. But even then, mm -hmm. I, I need more discussion. I need more back and forth to get the best out of any training. Um, for me, it's not just about reading and coming to my own conclusion. I need discussion. I need my eyes to be open to to other uh, potential that I might not be thinking about. And then that right. helps me. That's why this podcast helps me. Because I'm. it's not just I read this, I get locked in, I move on. It's, hey, have you examined it from this viewpoint? Or maybe... Jesus was talking to them, and this was the context. And so it, it's, it's all helpful. Oh, listen, the, the Bible study process is such a, a, um, a circular process that reinforces itself. I do Bible studies um, online uh, usually every Friday night. And we, 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 talk, we talk life. People have questions about things pertaining to them directly, things they see in the scripture, whatever it is, and we answer from the word of God. And there are plenty of times where a question comes in, I'm like, oh, interesting question. And immediately, I'm reminded of certain things in the scripture that answer that, that question, but I wasn't thinking about those things yesterday. Mm. I didn't consider those the week before. You know what I'm saying? And so... This process is beneficial whether you're on the student side or the teacher side. Right. Right? It's, it's an automatic. So I, I think that, you know, a lot of people have qualms about what they should study, where they should start their study, and what, what books they should use, what resources they should use. Start comfortably. Right, God will move you on faster if you're moving too slowly, but don't don't make it daunting. Yeah. Don't make it look like you're doing a dissertation on on ancient Hebrew in the life of the of the Philistine. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't make everything hard. Start from a position of let me get a scripture that I can read and understand reasonably, and let me 
go through as much of it as I get and then maybe put a, a, a line in it and move forward and, you know, come back to it from that place. Right. Like, you don't have to finish a chapter. No. You don't have to finish. You at least finish a paragraph, you know, but you don't have to finish a chapter. And you're going to get to parts of the Bible where it may not be practical. Right? No one says you have to read Psalm 119 in one sitting. <laughs> Yeah, because right. often if you try to do that, you get nothing from it. You're just no, immediately pushing the information out before you're even able to digest it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, I mean, imagine if you were eating food that quickly. Yeah. It, it ends up in the waste before it got digested. Like, yeah. no, you have, to, you have to process it properly. Don't get too dogmatic about the scriptures. If someone insists to you that a particular version, because I've, I've asked people that. How could the King James Version be the only authoritative version? What did people do in the English before. language before that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, are you just going to consign everyone in a non-English version? All the people who do Spanish and French, their, their salvation is in jeopardy because they're not <laughs> using the King James? I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, you have to go. <laughs> yeah, sure, English is the most spoken language, but not everybody's proficient in it. Right. I like the King James because sometimes the the um, awkwardness of the language, which I'm comfortable with, we grew up with it. Yeah. So I understand that's part of it for me. We grew up with it. I can speak that way on demand. But it helps me in the King James to sometimes stop and say, hold on, yes. I think I know what that means, yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. should look, Listen. right? Whereas in a more comfortable English, there are many more passages that I just fly through because I know that. I know what that means. If, if, if you know immediately what kick against the goads means, uh, <laughs> congrats to you. <laughs> Oh yeah, there are plenty of phrases that are not used the same way. The use of the phrase of the term "terrible," like think about how awful and terrible used to be used. Yeah. Right now, we make them always negative, and we make our "some" always positive. But if you think about it, "full" and "some" are scales of awe. Yes, yes, yes. So they would have been, you know, maximum awe and quite a bit of awe, and awe could be used in both directions, in a scary way and in a pleasant way. But over time, based on how we use the language, we gravitated to, to a specific connotation for each of those, and we stopped saying awful for good things, and we only used awesome for those things. Mm. Right, and so when you read that stuff in the scripture, you, you need to take a step back. Who are we speaking about? If we're talking about God, it's not in the bad context, right? right? If we're talking about, you know, Lucifer was awesome. Okay, when was that? Was that pre-sin, post-sin? Like you, you context becomes huge in that case, right? Let's not be dogmatic. God is going to say there are going to be a lot of people who lived at a time and never got access to the King James. You think everybody who died in 1650 is going to hell because they didn't have the King James available to them? Mm -hmm. Okay. We, we owe William Tyndale invented a word 
when translating the scripture to English because English did not contain a word that he needed. The word atonement that we use so casually in English, when he was looking at the process of, of the day of atonement, that day when everything got resolved, there was no word in English for it. And he mashed three words together. Atonement. <laughs> and so we call it atonement, but what he was saying was this was bringing everything together as one. This was reconciliation at an extreme level. And he made a word for it, which became a, a standard English word generated because he was translating the scripture. And now we use atonement in all sorts of contexts, but he, he invented that word because he did not have a word in English that, was, that had suitable gravity for the situation. So these are the things that happened in a translation we almost never use anymore, but was the basis for many other translations. And that is truly a funny one. The first time I heard a pastor say that that it's at one moment, I was like, "Oh no, that's 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 not true." But like you said, mm -hmm. the study shows, yeah, that's how it was created. All right. So as we, as we go through this year, my the, the, my purpose in bringing this up this year and looking at this as the two hundredth one. It's important for us. Like our goal here is to help people jumpstart their own studies, help them to, to look at the scripture in a way that may be different from how they grew up looking at it, or, or for people who are new to Christianity who aren't sure how they should look at it, giving them a, a, at least a couple of different angles to look at things and pull them from the scripture and, and Bible study, choosing a translation, understanding the role of translations, recognizing that Jesus used a translation because everybody in his time frame spoke Greek. They didn't speak it a hundred percent of the time because you see that some of the, the times he speaks Hebrew, especially in religious scenarios, but they did speak Greek and they were using a scripture that was available to folks in the common language. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus could do that without, you know, affecting adversely affecting his divinity and his mission, then certainly we can do it and not be hung up on, oh, it's not this specific translation, whichever translation you happen to think it should be. Got it. And I say that as a proponent of the King James, but... I can't put it on that level where it just fell from heaven like the tablets, and if you don't use it, then you're in problems. That's not how we should look at it, and that's not how you should feel about it if you're the one, if you're defending people who are like, why are you using the New King James? Why are you using the such and such, right? Why are you using the ESV? No, come to your position from an informed place, but understand that if you are sincere with God, God will allow you to understand what he needs you to understand from any translation, frankly. Yeah, there's one particular brand, I do, brand, one particular translation I don't care for. I think mm -hmm. it dumbs down the language, but not in a place for greater understanding. It's, it's just, it loses the spiritualness to me. But that's right. to me. Agreed. It's it's mm -hmm. a well-known version that some people love to go to. I don't understand why they love to go to it. I simply don't like it, so mm -hmm. I don't use it. And but, and that's why we are deliberately not saying what it is. Exactly. Because that's our, that's our personal preference, and I'm not about to dissuade someone. 
Yeah, if it from, if it works for someone and it brings them closer to God and it helps them to understand, then that's for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And if God wants them to change it, guess who's going to weigh on their heart to switch? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Excellent. So let me go ahead and pray us out. Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you. This is um, important. As we study the Bible, we need to make it clear that it's your word. And that you speak to them. They pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to them. The simple act of wanting to read and wanting to know more about you opens them up to uh, guidance from the Holy Spirit. And as long as they come to you with an open heart and an open mind, you'll be able to teach them. Um, Our preferences are merely preferences. But the truth is in your word, and that's what people need to read. So we pray that as we go into this new year that you'll help us as we explain um, what we read, that it'll help people who listen to want to know more about you and want to seek you out through the Bible. Be with all who are listening and be with us who are speaking and help us all to be blessed. Amen. Amen. All right. So as I mentioned We have plenty of episodes that you can get at info.truewisdom.info and truewisdom.buzzsprout.com. If you have to email us any questions, and I constantly test it, make sure it's still working, questions at truewisdom.info. You want to speak to us about any topic, anything we've covered, what we talked about today, you know, just text us and let us know your favorite version. You don't have to justify what is your favorite version, but I'm curious, what version do you like to go to? And we can reach us on Twitter. I was going to say formerly known as X, but it's X formerly known as Twitter, at truewisdom underscore pod. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray you will be blessed.